This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm super excited that you're here with us today with episode 22. This is part two of Lee's story. I'm so proud of Lee and so grateful that she was willing to come on the podcast and tell us a little bit about her story. I know everyone's story is different. Everyone's story is different. The details are different. Your acting out behavior was different. What brought you to the program was different. What you're struggling with is different. Everything's different about everyone's story. But the one thing I do know that as I've listened to stories of women throughout the world and their journey into recovery is that we all have commonalities. We all have commonalities among our behavior, among our recovery journey. We strive to look for those commonalities and how their story and our stories relate. Then we really develop empathy. We really develop compassion. We really develop for that that opportunity to, to share in their success and also to support them in their trials. And so I encourage you as you continue to listen to Lee's story that you look for the commonalities. Look how her story and your story are similar. Try to find those moments where where you can support each other and help each other along this journey. One of the things I, I've learned, of, of this is a learned thing. <laughs> One of the things that I've learned being in recovery is, is how harsh and critical and judgmental women can be towards each other. I don't know if it's because we all just view each other as competition or or what exactly it has to do with. I, I don't know all those details. I, that's, not what that's not my thing. But I do know that I am on a mission to stop. <laughs> I am on a mission to support women, to learn who they are, to support who they are, and to help lift each other up. And so I'm excited to bring these stories to you so that you can do that same thing in your own life. Recovery is enough of an uphill battle. We don't need to cause problems or trip each other up on the way up the hill. All we need to do is support and help each other. I hope that you'll join me in that. I hope that you'll join me in supporting and lifting each other as women in recovery, out of recovery, whatever your story is, that you will look for the women in your life that you can support and help and uplift. Help us all to move forward in a meaningful way. So with that, let's go back to Lee's story. If you remember, we had just gotten to the point where she had started attending face-to-face meetings and she had a little trial and error there and found some meetings that worked for her. And at one of her meetings, one of her very first meetings um, is where I met her. And I actually met her at my very first meeting in this Utah area that we live. Um, I had just moved to Utah and she um, had just started attending meetings. And so um, that's where we met. So let's pick up there where she had just started 
um, attending meetings or had just kind of got into a recovery type program. And let's go from there. So you've been attending 12-step meetings for about three years now then. Yeah. Okay. And so tell me what, you know, tell me what that looks like for you. What is your, what is your program of recovery involved? What does it look like? Okay. So I have, first I like to mention the meetings. I have, um, two Saturday meetings that I attend. One is what I call my home meeting because it's the meeting that, um, I attended before any others. And that is, uh, like at 8.30 in the morning. Or, or sorry, not 8.30, 7 in the morning. <laughs> and then I have another women's meeting that is at 9 a.m. in the morning. And so I attend those two meetings on Saturdays. I also have a Wednesday night women's phone meeting that I can attend. I do not attend that every week. I attend that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So maybe one twice a month is like probably on the heavy side right now. It used to be a lot more, but it just depends on my schedule because mm-hmm. I'm in school. Okay, so aside from meetings, I have um, meetings with my sponsor, which is you. (laughs) And I love my sponsor. She's awesome. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and those are once a week. And ours have had to be for the past, what, year have had to be over the phone, Mm -hmm. roughly the past year, just because I've moved from one spot to another in the town. Um, And today we get to meet in person. That's great. But um, normally they're over the phone. And they review my work in the 12 steps. So, like right now, I'm on step four. And uh, sometimes I'm really good about doing my homework for recovery and and that type of thing. And sometimes I'm a slacker. (laughs) Which lately, I won't say I've been a slacker, but it's it's been, like, hard to get it done. So, um, the other part of that is that I'm trying to develop recovery minded and oriented routines Mm -hmm. so like I'm trying to do things like uh, pray every day and I used to think that was super easy but because I'm somebody who doesn't really want to pray just to pray it it can it can become difficult for me sometimes to be like this was a meaningful prayer a prayer it counts instead of like I prayed because I was opposed to (laughs) so yeah so that's you know that's a spiritual aspect um and then um either working on a step that, you know, doing some step work that I'm in or um, reading a section of recovery literature or something inspirational is kind of also things that I throw in there. Uh, Recently, listening to podcasts has been nice. (laughs) So that's been a good addition. Um, There are also lots of like um, audios that you can get from from meetings. Like I attended several years back a a retreat that had really awesome essay and SNN speakers. And I always go back to that retreat's um, audios because I like a lot of what they had to say. It was really good. So that's another aspect of my recovery. What about connection? How, what does connection look like for you? Because we, you know, you kind of alluded to earlier, like, I was struggling with making connections. I, I wanted fantasy, right? I didn't want reality. So how did you break out of that? What does your connection look like now with other people? Okay, so first I'd like to f- say that when I went to face-to-face meetings, I kind of felt like there was a big risk of me trying to connect with people, and in people I mean men, because of attention, not because I expected or planned to want to become sexual with them or to even possibly flirt with them, but because um, they were men. And I was like, well, I can talk to these men like I talked to the men online, but we're talking about something healthy and something important. And so it won't be acting out, 
to talk to men at meetings, you know. And so I was actually kind of worried about that. That was kind of just, I think, a paranoia I had. And um, so for a while, I think I was very standoffish. I, I don't think I was rude or anything. I just think I acted differently than I do now. Because I was like almost like trying to counteract any kind of problem I might have. And you know, <laughs> just it was it was I it was what I needed to do apparently at the time. So um, so trying to connect with people, um, I wanted to make sure that I was doing it for the right reasons, I guess is what I'm getting at. And for uh, in a healthy way, I didn't really do a lot of like reaching out to people unless it was like a crisis or a major issue and I kind of felt like well my sponsor that's what my sponsor is for I don't need anybody else you know and even though I didn't really reach out to my sponsor very much (laughs) either so apparently I needed to do some practice which you know I've been asked by my sponsor to do I I've enjoyed the routine I've enjoyed having an assignment to be like okay you got to call one person a day and you need to um uh, if at all possible, make it a phone call, not just a text. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so yes, so I needed to make phone calls and texts if I had to, to one person a day. I was doing it mainly because I was told to. <laughs> and just because I think I felt like, well, why is someone going to want to hear from me if they know I'm calling them or texting them even because I was told to. And I thought, I don't, I wouldn't want them to call me. I'm like, I, I want to know that you want to call me because you want to talk to me and not because it's an assignment, you know? And so I actually even was dumb enough to say that to, she's my friend actually, <laughs> that I'm calling you because I'm supposed to, even though I like you and, <laughs> you know, at least I put the like in there. <laughs> she knows who she is. <laughs> and I was just like, that was a stupid thing to say. She probably feels horrible that like you had to call her. And no. So that was a story I was telling myself. But apparently she didn't care at all. She was just happy that someone was reaching out to her because that's how I have felt when people have called me is that out of all the people they could have called, which it may or may not be a lot, they called me. And so that's nice. It's nice, especially in in recovery. You know, it's not just someone calling to you know, see if they can borrow something, you know, so, yeah. so it's okay. been good. So your program includes 12-step work, 12-step fellowship, you have a sponsor that you work with, and then some connection and routines that you talked about, right? Awesome. So you said you've been attending meetings since, since July of 2013, right? June. June, June of 2013. So are you, does that mean you're like almost three years sober? Is that how that works? Because it'll be three years, right? This month? Does it need to be concurrent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, then no. <laughs> I've had relapses. So tell us a little bit about that. What? What? Tell us about one of your relapses and and what what was struggling? What was hard for you? Well, my first sobriety date was July thirteenth of twenty thirteen. I've had several relapses. Um, I actually was sober for like a year and a half, 18 months, and then I relapsed. And what happened? I was definitely just, um, what do they call that? I was just going through the motions in recovery, really. Um, I think the the intent and the purpose behind it had kind of gotten lost in the mix of life and me feeling just like I had a lot going on that I just obviously couldn't handle. And... Um, 
Yeah. I I think at the time there was a lot of head shaking, like, what just happened? You know, and it wasn't just me doing that. You know, my husband and people around me in recovery, they, I mean, they were polite enough not to say anything, but it was definitely like, a, what? <laughs> you have 18 months, you know? <laughs> That's the story I, you know, of course, telling myself nobody actually said that. <laughs> but yeah, um, so it was definitely a sign that my recovery was not high quality. You know, I it might have started that way, but it wasn't that way when I relapsed. And I think for me, it was just um, a way to, again, be woken up to say, you can fail at this. You can go back to what you were doing and you can be even more unhappy than you were <laughs> if you don't change something besides what you've changed already. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? I mean, denial comes off in layers, right? So we might change some things about our behavior and then we have a relapse and we're like, uh, okay, I guess I need to change something else. I know for me, it took 18 months to get sober. Like it took me 18 months to kind of pull off those layers of denial before I actually got a sobriety, you know, date that stuck. Right. So I, I could totally relate to the idea that we, we relapse. How'd you pick yourself back up? How'd you get back Back into recovery. I mean, were you tempted to leave? Did you did you want to stay? What, and what was different the second time around? I totally have to say that I thought that I was done with relapses with that relapse. I was like, that's it. That was just, that was horrible. And I am just, that's it. This is it, you know. And apparently, you know, since then it hasn't been it. But so... One of the things I try to remind myself is that um, addicts like to cross lines, good and bad. And if I draw lines in the sand that are absolutes, when I'm not doing good, there is a high risk of me crossing the line. And so, um, especially lately, like most, like lately a lot, like in the past few months, I have realized that I need to make sure that I have really good balance in what I'm doing because... I would OD even before I knew I had addictive issues. I would OD on lots of things in my life. You know, I would go through what they call them phases where I would be so into something and then I would move on to something completely different. And, you know, that happened with me and my spouse. You know, we kind of did that as a couple as well as individually. And for me, I was like, I can't afford to move on from recovery. You know, I, this can't be a phase. This can't be something that I burn out on because, like, I ate, ate slept, and drank it in an unhealthy, imbalanced way. It has well, to be I something think, I can maintain. Yeah, I, I think that is, that's incredibly valuable. The idea that, like, as addicts, we, you know, we, we throw ourselves intently into something, right? And then we let it be a phase and we move on to the next thing. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people do that with recovery. Recovery becomes that next phase in their lives you thought maybe this could be you know i lived breathe and eat it for a certain period of time and now i'm ready to move on from it what made you decide that you couldn't move on from it relapses <laughs> when i thought everything was all good you know and everyone else around me said you're all good that was actually i think one of the things that i started to after a while notice bothered me even though I never said anything was that people would tell me they would congratulate me about certain things in, that had to do with my sobriety day as well as like what I did in recovery. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm just the same as every other addict here. I can relapse tomorrow as I've heard people say in meetings. I, I, I have seen people with 20 years say, and I'm taking it one day at a time because tomorrow could be my first day again. Mm -hmm. 
you know? And I'm like, that is completely true because for me, I don't know about other addicts, but for me, I like to lie to myself a lot. And um, I'm usually the last person to figure out it was a lie. <laughs> you know, everyone else around me is like, oh, kind of knew that. And I'm like, well, you should have told me because I didn't. <laughs> I had it down good, you know, but no. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have to just be really careful about doing more than I can do and holding up these unrealistic expectations of myself in recovery, like saying, I'm 18 months and I'm never relapsing. I'm going to have, you know, five years soon and, you know, or whatever, you know, I have to accept that I can relapse and that I, and that it doesn't start with the fact that I went and acted out. It starts with me not contacting people or not caring when I'm contacting people or not doing the routines that are helping me in, in my day. And I've seen thus far that even those routines have to change according to what it is I need because sometimes I'll do something whether you're you assigned it to me or it's something I'm choosing to do and I realize after a while it's not working for me you know and in the the habit the easy thing is to just keep doing it because I can tell myself oh well maybe I'm just not doing it good enough or maybe I just am gonna do it because you know um it's, it's something I'm already used to doing. I don't have to try something new, you know, or whatever I'm telling myself at the time. Right. But if it's not working, then I'm eventually going to stop doing it. Right. And then I'm eventually going to replace it with things that maybe aren't healthy options. Absolutely. I'm curious if you could tell me, tell me like one of your worst moments in, re- in addiction or in recovery. And then also I want to hear about one of your best moments. In recovery. So worst moment in recovery and best moment in recovery. Mm -hmm. Worst day in recovery. The worst moment. Worst moment. Yeah, I don't know when it would have been day-wise. Okay, that's fine. When was one of your worst moments in recovery? Oh, shoot. My very last relapse. (laughs) It is actually the worst day and the best day thus far in my recovery. Reasons it was the worst day. I'll go with that first. Um... (laughs) I had lied to everybody else around me that was trying to help me in recovery, including my spouse and my sponsor. And I just kept lying to them because I didn't want to have to reset my recovery. I didn't want to have to tell them what had happened. I didn't want to have to acknowledge that I had somehow failed myself, that I wasn't over all the things I thought I was over. I have to say that the time I relapsed when I was 18 months was not as bad as this last time. (laughs) Because at 18 months, I think I was way more optimistic. Way more like, oh, it was a bump in the road, even though it was a really long time. (laughs) It was a bump in the road. And I can can get through this. And this last time really felt kind of like a crossroads for me. I thought to myself, you're either going to continue to relapse or you're not. And if you're going to continue to relapse, you don't need to be in this program. You don't need to be hurting other people or letting other people down or letting yourself down or whatever it was I was feeling. Those are kind of a lot of things running through my head at the time. You don't need to be doing that if you don't plan to stay sober. If you don't plan to give up whatever you need to give up. And, uh, yeah, it was really hard. And then, uh, I had to go talk to people about what I did and 
take some accountability for it. And I hadn't actually ever really had to do that before in recovery. You know, usually if I was taking accountability, it was because someone had found out and, you know, things weren't going to get better. They were going to get worse. You know, it didn't, it didn't feel like a positive thing. And so that was just a really awful feeling. It was actually the day, uh, that I was supposed to, um, leave to go to a women's retreat. (laughs) So I have really good timing by the way. Um, (laughs) yeah, uh, no, it, it was kind of one of those things where I recognized that I couldn't go to a retreat and recovery if I wasn't being honest with everyone around me. And since I like to procrastinate, I waited till the day of (laughs) to get my crap together and tell someone according to my plan. I had a relapse plan, which I did not follow at all. (laughs) Just to be clear. (laughs) So don't do what I'm saying I did. Um, No, yeah. So that was like the worst day so far. Because everything after that was uphill. <laughs> but um, that was also probably the best day because I didn't feel like I had any secrets anymore. And granted, those secrets were new secrets. They weren't ones I'd been holding on to. They weren't things I did that were new, that they were the same old habits, but uh, they were, you know, new time periods of them. But that relapse, like, I don't know. I It took me several weeks from when, almost a month from when I started acting out to like in any way mentally or whatever till when I actually told anybody. So it felt like a really long time. And so it felt like I was hiding an awful lot. It felt just like I had all this stuff stashed away and trying to convince myself, I think, that um, the technicalities mattered. You know, it's technically. And then I got to the point where there was technically relapsing. And I was like, shoot. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think the the reason why it was the best day was because it was a day that my spouse could have said, you know what, I've had enough. But because he's chosen to get into recovery as well, even though his doesn't look like mine, he recognized that this was my thing to deal with. And that it didn't affect his choices. And so he's been really awesome. And I think before that point, I had felt like maybe there's a there's a line that I crossed that he is not going to stay with me. Or he's not going to respect me anymore. Or he's not going to care about me anymore. You know, and he's told me some other things as well. But, um... That day he was basically, I mean, of course, he was very angry when he found out because he thought we were past me relapsing. And, you know, it was not roses (laughs) that day, but um, he took off work. He didn't go to work that day because it was in the morning that we that he found out. And we spent the whole day like talking about what our lives were looking like, what they would look like after today, after that day. And just the importance of both of us staying recovery-minded, which meant that we were both working on our own side of the street. That just because I have this addiction and this issue doesn't mean that I'm any worse off than, than he is or anyone else is. One thing he likes to say is he likes to say, uh, why would I throw away a perfectly good woman just because what she did wrong is different than what I would have done wrong? And that he recognizes that that his higher power 
did not intend for him to be the judge and jury and that he just has to do his best to support me and to do what he needs to do for his own recovery. So that was like a really rough 24 hours and the next couple days was not much better, but it was way more positive. I think I got like a huge vaccination of recovery that weekend, which is definitely needed. And obviously another indicator that I had not been doing what I needed to do for a while. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us. I think it's hard to sometimes talk about our worst moment and our best moment, but that they're the same, right? That's a challenge. Thank you. So here you are three years later. So what, what keeps you moving forward? What keeps you in recovery? Why do you choose every day to keep doing this? I'm very concerned with how I live my life, which is why it was hilarious to me to discover I have an addiction, especially a sex addiction, which is definitely not considered acceptable in society. You know, it brings up all kinds of moral issues and things. And I'm like, it definitely creates a little bit of confusion sometimes in my head and I would have to say that beyond my religious convictions and the things that I really strive to try and be and do in my life, I want a life. I want to do things and have goals and accomplishments. And when you have an eight-hour job of acting out, none of that's going to happen. And (laughs) I want to have relationships that are healthy and that are real. So that's why I stay in recovery. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It's the last question. Okay. All right. <laughs> so for all the women out there listening, and we have women all over the world, so no pressure here, okay? Okay. Women all over the world listening Sweet. to our podcast about sex addiction and women, what would be, what would be your message? What do you want them to know? Oh, goodness. I would say that um, recovery is worth it, but it's only as good as what you put into it. You get out of it what you put into it is a good way to look at that. And um, don't let anybody tell you that you're too far gone or that your addiction is something that you don't need to deal with or that you're not really an addict Or that in any way are you not valid as being someone who needs help, who needs recovery. Because I've seen addicts in this addiction specifically that have very, very different stories and very, very different examples of how they've acted out. But they they all need help. And I think in AA it talks a lot about how the low bottom drunks should be congratulated because they reached out to try and find people before they hit bottom, before their lives were completely decimated. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely one of those people in this program is my life is not completely decimated. Have I damaged it? Yeah. (laughs) Is it irreparable? I don't like to say that something's ever irreparable. I definitely don't see my life as irreparable. And that's probably what I would say to people is just keep looking for what you need to be able to have a better life. I want to just take a moment and thank Lee again for her willingness to come on the podcast and share a little bit about her story with us. I hope you're able to find some commonalities there and 
to really take her message to heart that no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, no matter how far you think you've gone, or maybe even no matter how far you think you haven't gone, that you are 100% worth recovery. Because like she so adequately said, you deserve to have a life. We all deserve to have a life, a life with goals and accomplishments, a life that we're proud of, a life that we're that we enjoy living, a life where we can be happy. So I want you to remember that wherever you are, whatever's going on, you are worth recovery. It's hard, it's difficult, but I know that it's possible. I think about you, I pray for you, I love you. I hope you have a great day. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.